0: Uh, I am a big uh, music fan, but as I get older, I realize that it's more and more particular. I only like certain things. I've become like the old guy that doesn't like any of the whatever. But every once in a while when one of my favorite uh, artists or bands comes out with a new album, I get really excited because it's like I only like certain things now. And so when they come out and so uh, two weeks ago, one of my favorites came out with a, a, a new album and I've been working in the yard a lot. And so I've been listening to it on repeat just over and over. And there was this new song I was listening to this week in which uh, this band had entitled Army. And it's a very sad, kind of somber, serious song. And it's about um, uh, some guys that have gone over to war in the military and then reintegrating into society. And uh, the song kind of gripped me uh, in the sense of I've, I've known several friends in the last few years who've gone just through that and the difficulty that comes with that being reintegrated after being away uh, in difficult circumstances. And then uh, probably my best friend uh, from seminary, Matt, was an Army chaplain for years. And now he travels around the United States to meet with veterans that are struggling uh, with PTSD and moral injury. And that's his whole life right now is caught up in this. And so here I'm listening to this song, and that's what they're talking about. That's the whole song is what it's about. And uh, it gets right to this kind of uh, builds to this part in the middle. And there's this line right in the middle of the song that says, I've been dreaming of this unrelenting love, depreciated gasping towards a new unknown. But I'm trying to find this new unknown and I'm searching for this unrelenting love and I'm struggling in the midst of it. And as I listened to that song over and over this week, I was thinking about this this greater theme that's in the song. But it's in our lives and it's all throughout scripture. And as we struggle through setbacks and disappointments and heartaches and uh, relationships and jobs uh, and tragedy and death and all these struggles, how we're grasping uh, for what is to come. We're grasping to, to hold on to an unrelenting love that we've been dreaming of. That's what the whole Bible is about, right? That God has made us. In his image to know and love him above all else. And we've exchanged that truth for a lie and we struggle along so often. But God is faithful to continue to pursue us in that. And that's what the book of Jonah is about. It's about a prophet, a man of God that's supposed to be God's spokesman. That God says, I want you to go to this place and go to these people and tell them what I'm telling you to say. And Jonah runs the other way. He does the exact opposite and he continues to run from God, but God continues to pursue him. Uh, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the book of Jonah the last month or so. And as God's prophet Jonah runs from him, God brings this storm, a very literal storm in his life as he gets on a boat to flee God and go the other way. And the storm comes and they discern that the storm is there because of Jonah's disobedience and because of his running from God. And we came to the end of chapter one last week where Jonah finally recognizes what the havoc he's bringing on this boat and these men that he's with and what's happening. And he says, throw me overboard. And they don't want to do it. And they finally say, "Okay," and they throw him overboard. And the uh, the storm calms and the sea stops and Jonah is swallowed by this great fish. And so here we are in our story of, of Jonah running from God, but God pursuing him. And as we get to chapter two, uh, Dennis just read it to us. Jonah is in the belly of this great fish and he cries out to God and it's this prayer in chapter two. And as we read through this prayer today and we think on it together, there's this uh, theme that's there of in the hardships of life and in these struggles and the fork in the road and the things that we're dealing with. There's a great opportunity for growth. There's a great opportunity for God's grace to break in in new ways that maybe we haven't seen before. And so this morning, that's what I want us to look at and think about together in chapter two of Jonah. And the first thing I want us to consider is the circumstances that sometimes are the catalyst for that growth. There's a couple things that Jonah talks about here. That sometimes break in as the catalyst that help alert us to God's grace in our life. So I want us first to consider the circumstances that sometimes serve as that catalyst. And then secondly, when that does happen and God meets us in the middle, what's happening to our heart in the midst of that? What is God doing? And then lastly, the renewed life that comes out of that in those cycles. How God is so faithful in every bit of that so let's just start with the, the circumstances that can serve as the catalyst in our life at these different times. And so this text kind of helps shine a light on that. So just look at Jonah chapter two and verse one. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice for you cast me into the deep. Into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me and all your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me and weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land and I'm going to just stop there for a second. Jonah's been running from God, doing the exact opposite of what he's told him to do. And as God pursues him and he brings these consequences, we talked about this a few weeks ago. We see the clear consequences in response to Jonah's sin in his life in this storm and what's happening. And as God is kind of boxing him in and he gets thrown overboard. And now he's literally about to die. The waves are crashing over him. He gives us a very descriptive picture of that here in verse three. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. Notice even the language he uses, all your waves and your billows passed over me. He understands this is from God and it's in response to his sin in the middle of this. And we come to this place where he gets swallowed by the fish and say that Jonah has kind of hit bottom here. God has broken in in a very real way to show him clearly his sin. And it's God pursuing Jonah, I mean, this is not uh, sugarcoat Jonah's rebellion here. It's not like he came to his senses and figured it out. It literally took God bringing this giant storm and him being thrown into the sea and now swallowed by a fish to kind of get through to him. But at this point, he kind of hits this place. It's a radically a radical humbling of Jonah that takes place. I don't know about you, but when I read this story and I think about it, uh, I'd say I'm I'm borderline claustrophobic. This sounds so awful in so many ways. I mean, literally to be swallowed by a fish, not be able to move, to be in complete darkness, not be able to move at all. I mean, no matter how big the fish is, there's not a lot of room in there. It's not like he was up walking around. It's like being in a coffin, Right, and all he can do is just lay there. And now he is with his thoughts, and God has put him in this position at this place, and He's bringing him to this uh, kind of uh, bringing him to the end of himself, starting to show him the delusion with which he was living under that we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Oftentimes we live in a self-sufficiency delusion that I'm in control and I've got it and I'm good on my own and I can operate that way and I can make these choices apart from God and I can live like that. And Jonah is now saying that is not true. It, it makes me think sometimes when I uh, uh, I wrestle with one of our dogs at our house. Uh, we have a lot of dogs. We probably have too many dogs. But we have a lot of dogs in our house and one in particular. Uh, Wilma is two years old and she is half Weimaraner and half uh, Poodle. So she's a Weimer doodle, which means she's not quite as crazy as a Weimaraner, but still kind of crazy. And she's only two years old, so she likes to wrestle and she likes to play and she likes to get on the ground. And so I will play with her almost 70 pounds. She's a good sized dog. But when she gets wound up too much, I can flip her on her side and just kind of lay on her. And she's learned over time. She used to fight me on this. And now if I flip her on her side and I lay on her, she just stops. She kind of goes, okay, I know how this is going, and she lays her head down. And she'll usually just get comfortable and lay there. Like, okay, great. We're snuggling now. It went from wrestling to now snuggling, and she just lays there. But there's this moment where she's fighting, she's all into it, she's all geared up, and then you flip her over, and then all of a sudden she submits. She gets to the point where she goes, oh, I I see how this is going. And I think that's the point where God has brought Jonah. And it took him being thrown overboard and swallowed by this fish and brought to this place. And it's kind of like with the dog. When you lay him down, you go, enough. That's what God's doing with Jonah here. I'm bringing you to the end of yourself. You are not in control. I am in control of this. He's bringing Jonah to the end of his self-sufficiency delusion that he thinks he's in control of all things. And God is saying, I am in control of all things. And he brings Jonah to this place. In his life. And in those moments when we realize that things are outside of our control, God can often get our attention at those times. Now, I don't know about you, I don't don't think it's ever been, oh, you could go around the room, anyone's been thrown overboard in the middle of a storm or swallowed by a fish, but I think of the things in our life that bring us to those places. Probably one of the most clear places is in the death of a loved one. So often we operate in our lives, even though that we know death is real and it is ever looming and it is ever there. But we just kind of look away. We pretend like it's not real right here to me in this moment. And when we go through the death of a loved one, someone that we know and care about, and there's a finality and there's a grieving and there's a hardship and all these things. And we are brought face to face with death. Death is coming. Death is the ever-present thing that's there that we like to pretend like it's not. But when we're brought face to face with it, we suddenly realize we have no control over it. And it alerts us to those things. The same thing happens with tragedies in life. Maybe it's a sickness of you or your loved one, and all of a sudden you don't know how to deal with it. And you realize you're not in control and you can't fix it. Or or maybe it's a, a loss of a job. One day you show up for work and they say, you're out. And you go, now what? And in those moments, we're alerted to the fact that we're not in control. The self-sufficiency delusion that we were living in, suddenly we get hit across the faith and it's like, now what? But in those moments, God can use those times to get our attention. And that's exactly what he does with Jonah here. He brings them to this place where just stop. Kind of like I do with the dog. We're going to stop now and there's nothing you can do about it. And so God uses that in our life as a catalyst to sometimes to pull back that curtain of our delusion of self-control. And he does that with Jonah here. But there's a second thing that happens that you see in this. Right? You see that first one there is Jonah is saying the waters closed in over me to take my life. He no doubt thought he was done. Even as he's inside the fish, he's probably thinking, I'm only going to live in here for a matter of time and I'm done. And he's dealing with that. But the second thing I want you to see as he's processing, as he's thinking through verse seven and following, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I want you to think about what he's saying there in verse eight, what God is teaching Jonah as he gets him to be still, when he starts to remove the delusion that he's living under, that he's his own and that he doesn't need God and that he can do this without him. And suddenly, Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. What does that mean? What is a vain idol? Vain just simply means hopeless, ineffective, can't do what we want it to do. I say this often if you've been around Church of the Apostles, we talk about idolatry. What does it mean to worship idols when the Bible talks about it? An idol is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing. Taking something that God has placed in your life to alert you to his goodness, this to be a, uh, a pointer to the great goodness of who God is, and the way He loves us, and how He alone can satisfy your needs. And instead of making it something that points us to God, we make it the thing. <clears throat> As Romans says, we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we worship the creation rather than the Creator. All of the creation is to point us to the Creator, but sometimes we forget that and we start to worship the creation instead. I think about it uh, when my boys were really little like one around that age, maybe even younger, somewhere around there. And I remember carrying them around and walking with them and uh, like taking them outside and be like a big giant tree and you'd hold them and I'd point and I'd be like, look at that. Right. And you're holding them. And I used to have these thoughts of like, this is the first time they're seeing a tree. You know, like suddenly you become real existential and all these deep thoughts of like, they've never seen this before. And you're pointing and you're going, look, look. And they'd go and they'd take your finger. And they'd go, ah. <laughs> right. Or they would cross their eyes and they'd stare at your finger and you're going, no, no, no. Look at this. Right. And that's kind of what we do with what God's done for us in our life. He has all these things that alert us to his great glory as the creator of all things. And instead of seeing what they're pointing to, we just focus on the thing. I, I think of probably the, the, the most clear example I can think of. In our lives is in our culture is the idea of sex, that God has created this thing to be enjoyed for one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And it's this beautiful thing that brings unity between two people. It brings them together. It alerts us to God's love for us. Within marriage and the covenant of marriage, it's the renewal of the covenant ceremony as two become one and we come together, and it's all this rich with meaning that points us to who God is and His great love for us. And we take it and we go, Oh, that's the thing. And we build a billion dollar industry around making uh, disgusting things that pervert it. And show it in a way that God was never created it to be. And we make it that thing. And we worship the creation rather than the creator. Instead of being a sign point that points us to it, it becomes this vain idol. That can never do what we hope it would do. And we forsake the hope of steadfast love. The love of God for us by making it all about these things. And we do it in all sorts of different ways. We do it with our jobs and we do it with our families and we do it with our house. We do it with food. We do it with stuff. We do it with a car we drive. We fixate on the things, hoping they will give us something that we're yearning for that only God can ever meet. And we've seen that in this book that Jonah's going through life. Operating under this understanding that he's a Hebrew first, kind of country first, and this is who I am, and I'm better than those people, and I'm like this, and I'm I'm who I am because I'm a good person, and these are all idols in his life. And God brings him to this place and kind of lays him down and goes, "You're going to be still now and listen." And Jonah realizes that I am forsaking the hope of steadfast love by chasing after vain idols. And so there's moments in our life where God shows us those things. When we become obsessed with things, with stuff that can't do what we hope they're going to do, but we continue to chase it and we continue to do it. And then you get to a point of exhaustion. You know, this still isn't working. We're, we're very thick headed, too, because we try it over and over. Right. I've, I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. Right. Right. Buy a TV, I'll move that in the other room and I'll buy a bigger TV and then I'll buy big Guess what? There's still nothing on. It's still just a thing on the wall that can't bring you steadfast love that you hoped it would. It can't do what you're hoping it would do. And we do that over and over and we continue to pursue those things. And it's hard sometimes in the things we pursue because oftentimes idols in our life are good things. They're not bad things. They're usually good things that we're now making ultimate things, and that's the problem. And so we set our hope of steadfast love on our children. And we make the kids the center of our life. And we even say things like, I live for my kids. And everybody goes, Yeah, that's awesome. I love my kids too. It's a terrible idea. And, and I don't mean to love your kids, and I don't mean to care for your children. But if you make your children your hope, if you make them the center of your being in your life, do you know how that ends? Worry and anxiety and disappointment and heartbreak and struggle. Because if you put your kids in a place to provide for you what only God can provide for you, it doesn't work. They are not your hope. And the same is true with your job. If you make uh, your hope for steadfast love and what you do and how well you do it, it will forsake you. If you make it your spouse, if you make it your home, if you make it your reputation, if you make it the car you drive, they cannot do what only God can do for you. And so what I would say to you is the circumstances that work as that catalyst is when you get to a place where you're recognizing that. Man, I've been doing this over and over. I've been getting a new car every year for 10 years, and it's still just a car. You go, why do I care? I'm looking for it to do something that it can't do. And so Jonah comes to this place where God is breaking in and showing him that. And oftentimes it takes these two together, a struggle, a hardship, a tragedy of life to alert you to things that are really important. And he brings us to those situations when times are difficult, oftentimes. Because we're so stubborn that we'll continue to do the same thing and it takes something else to kind of shake us out of it. And that's exactly what's happened with Jonah here. But when those moments come, how does change? What happens? And I think what we see very literally with Jonah, it probably doesn't happen this way for us, but very literally with Jonah is it comes to this place where he stops and he has to listen. He now begins to seek the Lord. I don't know about you, but sadly, when things are a struggle and they're hard and I'm frustrated, those are the times I pray the most. It's because I live in a self-sufficiency delusion a lot of the times when things are good, it's like I got it. But when things are hard, then suddenly I'm like, oh, God, I need help with this. I don't understand. But in those moments when we start to see the struggle, when tragedy comes or death stares us in the face or those things are right there, or maybe it's more subtle than that, but you're just in a general uh, malaise over the continued struggle of putting your hope in things. And they're not satisfying and they're not there. But in those moments, God softens our heart to actually listen. And I think that's what happens with Jonah here as he starts to listen. He stops and he literally stops because he can't do anything else here. Right. He's in essentially solitary confinement for, for three days. It's complete dark. He can't move. He's got nothing else but his thoughts and to talk to God. And that is so hard for us. We live in a culture where we are constantly distracted. We're constantly things vying for our affection. We walk around with phones in our pockets that are buzzing at us all the time. You know that even when your phone doesn't go off, they say about twice a day now, you think it does. You're so conditioned that you feel like an itch on your leg and you're like, oh, must be on my phone. And we seriously just do that because we're so conditioned. And so we're so in that. It's hard for us to actually stop and listen. But I think those things, those catalysts come in our life and it pushes us to that. I I have to talk to God about this. And so we see Jonah in this place of stopping and listening because he has to. But he begins to listen and you see a change even in this chapter as he does. In verses one and then in verse two, it says, verse one, that Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish. Verse two, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. Sounds like a nice way of whitewashing his sin. Right. I called to you out of my distress. No, I called you out of my complete and total rebellion that led me to this distress he kind of softens it, doesn't he? I called you out of my distress like he was just going along his way and this hard thing came. Right? By the way, that's just a reminder. When we pray to God, you can tell him everything on all of it and you can confess in that way. He knows it all already. You don't have to put it in more uh, better sounding terms. There's nothing that you haven't thought or said or done in your life that God doesn't know every single bit of it. and He still loves you and he's still pursuing you. And so you don't have to whitewash it. But at the beginning, he says this kind of like, ah, out of my distress, I called you. But then you start to see this change as he stops and he's still and he begins to listen to God and he's praying. And God begins to show what's happening in his heart, that you are putting your faith in your trust in vain idols and you will forsake the steadfast love that you were made for when you do that. And as he stops and as he listens and as he seeks God, he begins to hear the voice of God and what he's telling him. He hears the truth. And sadly, that's what happens a lot of times for us is it takes these difficult times for us to stop and really seek the Lord and really listen. And so there's a really important reminder in the middle of this. Sometimes when things are going well, oh, I got it right. Do a real quick prayer. I'll read it. 30 second devotional. And I'll be on my way because things are going pretty well. And that's one of the importance of having spiritual disciplines in your life. They're called disciplines for a reason. We begin to put those things in our life that we do regularly and we talk to God and we listen to God through the way he's revealed himself in his word. And we do it even when we feel good and we don't feel like we need it because the truth is we always need it. We always need to be coming to him. We always need to be hearing from him. Not just in the difficult times, but we need to have those as regular rhythms in our life. But when we stop and listen and God meets us in the midst of our needs and in these circumstances, when things are really difficult or when we're to the end of our rope, that these things aren't meeting my needs in the way that I hoped they would God graciously meets us and he does what he does with Jonah here and he takes it from just the head knowledge to his heart. Remember, Jonah was a prophet, the man of God, the preacher was supposed to go and he was missing all of this. And God takes the head knowledge and he pushes it down in the hurts of life and he brings it into his heart and he makes it personal. He says, I'm forsaking the hope of steadfast love in regard to these vain idols. And God begins to show him and shape him and mold him. And so, in those moments, it goes from just a head knowledge, which head knowledge is important. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. God tells us, He reveals to us who we are and what He's like and the framework in which to operate through His Word. And that's important. But then in the hardships of life, it reveals the needs of our heart and that truth comes down and he begins to push it in. And we begin to experience the grace of God in those moments. And oftentimes the greatest growth happens in those most difficult times. In the struggle and the hardship of the things that are pressing in on us. Because it removes all those, uh, all the delusions we've been living under. That I've got this and everything's good and I'm in control and I have no you're not. And when that happens and God's word is standing over you and He begins to show you how much He loves you in the way that He's at work in all of these times, in all these ways. In the New Testament, it talks about uh, uh, that when Jesus says the time is here, repent. The kingdom is at hand. And He uses this word for time. There's two uh, words for time in the New Testament. There's chronos time, which is chronological, just time passing. And then there's Kairos time, a moment in time where God is showing you something, where this thing is crystallizing and you go, yeah, now I see it. And God's changing your heart. And the truth is, it takes a lot of chronos time to get to those Kairos moments where God is teaching you and you're aware of it and you're seeing it. And oftentimes, sadly for us. Because we live in that delusion that I'm good on my own, it takes the hardship of the struggle and the tragedy and the end of your rope and all those things to alert you that he's now going to teach you something. But the truth is, God is there always. And he's leading you and he's guiding you and he's breaking in. And so asking that question of what is God teaching me in this? And what I want you to see as we think about Jonah and as he comes to this and what God's doing here is that sometimes life gets very difficult and it gets hard and you're struggling and you're wrestling through the things in front of you. But oftentimes that's when God breaks in and he begins to teach and show you in new ways. He hasn't changed. He's always been there, but it softens our heart in a way to receive what he's saying. And there's a glorious truth to this. When we think about the freedom of living inside of this new life as God's doing these things, sanctification that is growing uh, in our relationship with God as a process, and it often Growth comes in these hard times. But what I want you to recognize and think about this morning is that God is work in all of it. But there's a great comfort to me to know that when it's really difficult, that God's at work. It says He's near to the brokenhearted. That He's working in our struggles. That He's alerting us to the futility of sin in this world and this life, and He's got something far greater. And that we can trust him in the middle of that. It's where Christianity veers from all other world views. It's the only system, the only belief where the God of the universe came down and suffered with us. Suffered for us. That entered into our suffering and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And Jesus has done that. And so we can trust him in those most difficult moments that there is nothing that he doesn't know what we're dealing with. There is nothing that he is not going to redeem. There is nothing outside of his control that he's not going to use for our good and his glory. And So when it's hard and it's a struggle and you're wrestling through those things, I would just encourage you to ask God, what are you teaching me in this? What are you revealing to me today about who you are and the way that you're working and the way that you love me? Sometimes God allows us to feel those that pressing in on us. To get our attention, to remind us of his great love for us. Our desperate need for his grace in all things. And the truth is, we forget that Often. And God is so gracious to continue to faithfully pursue us in all ways and all times. So we'll continue to walk through the book of Jonah, sadly, like us. I mean, the truth is, Jonah is all of us. If you're, I mean, honestly, <laughs> we're just like Jonah. Oh, God, I cry out to my distress. I see it. And then he's going to get up and then he's going to be like, no, nah, I think I'm good. It's going to go right back to it. It's going to happen again. But God continues to faithfully pursue us because of his great love for us and for his glory. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. I thank you that you meet us in the midst of our struggles. In our hardships that you're pursuing us. That you often use these difficult times in our life as catalysts for great growth where we see you more fully. Would you give us eyes to see that? I pray for those right now that are sitting here today that are going through very difficult times. I know that you know each and every one and what they're dealing with and what that looks like. I pray today that you would overwhelm them with your spirit, that you are at work, that you are teaching and guiding and shaping, that you you are seeking to reveal more of your character to them to understand more fully your great love for us and the grace that you've given us we thank you that you are at work we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us that you don't waste any of it and we just pray all of this in jesus precious name amen